Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the best of the podcast of ever. Hey! hey! We're, we're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right and head to Twisted Willow Soap Company and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. We take spiritual initiation when we become conscious of the divine within us and thereby contact the divine without us. Welcome to Initiations, the 99th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 20th century occultist Dion Fortune. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Beat. My name is Gwyn Ode's mother. And here we are. So, housekeeping. Housekeeping. We have four new hunters. Whoa. Thank you, hunters. Welcome. Megan Kipper, Zach Howard, Stephanie W., and Aja Deadly. And we love our hunters. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we had one new kitten. Oh, we kitten. love you, kitten. And then... Oh, and Aja is apparently pronounced Asia. Asia. Oh. Well, that's a bummer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I pronounced it like the Steely Dan album. Anyway. Um, and they just they did. said, thanks, Steely, Steely Dan. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been doing it wrong. Probably. <laughs> Isn't surprising. Gwen does Monday morning meditations. Mm-hmm. At 8 a.m. live on Facebook live, or you can watch it afterwards, or you can download the audio off of SoundCloud usually the next day. Mm -hmm. Yep. Nice. Also, Gwen does on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. her book club. That's right. And we are talking about How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kandi. And it's a wonderful book. We are starting Chapter 2 this week. So even if you haven't read the book yet, please join us. We go off on a lot of bunny trails. so <laughs> But it's been a great discussion. And so I hope you'll join us. Hey, any other housekeeping things? I don't think so. No. Other than our 100th episode is oh, coming up right. next week. Yes. Oh, okay. I guess we can talk about that. That's kind of important. Uh, is it? 100 episodes. It's I think dramatic, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Right. Of course, it, it happened a lot sooner because our, well, our we switched listeners to weekly. switched to, our listeners we, switched us yes, to weekly. weekly yeah. We moved from once a month to once every two weeks. Now, now, once a week. we, we, we moved from month. once a month for one episode. That was, one, I, well, that, that was, was our original. plan though. It just didn't, like, it just didn't fall no. out that way. So don't, I wouldn't even go there because it never happened. That was our plan though. But that's beside the point. But anyway, we went from bi-weekly to weekly about, what did we decide, eight months ago? <laughs> God, I don't know. It's but been a while. Yeah, nine months bit. ago, yeah. yeah. I think it was October of last year when yeah, we when got the big push to... Including to... the Lost episode. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the Lost episode... Oh, somewhere in the ether. Yes. <laughs> or the aether. Did, did not uh, record. Yeah. <laughs> so a, a select few of you heard that one. That's right. But... 
regardless, it is our 100th episode, and we have decided to do... Drunk Divination. That's right. Which we've done before. Yep. Um, you can go back and listen to the prior Drunk Divination episode to get a sense of what you're in for. Yep. And last time I, like, prefaced it with, don't take any of this seriously, <laughs> blah, 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 but apparently... Basically, everything we talked about worked for people, so yeah, we've gotten, take it seriously, I guess. We've gotten if, if messages you want, back yeah. saying that, you know, everything was spot on. So. Yeah, yep. And we we even talked about the fact that, you know, when you have had something to drink or something, it kind of right. lowers your inhibition, mm-hmm. kind of opens you up to that. Right. I think it doesn't, I think it makes me a worse interpreter, but yeah. not necessarily a worse diviner. Yeah, exactly. Right. We get more connected to yep. the spiritual, but... The interpretations can be loose. (laughs) Right. Rana says, I've always divined better drunk. There you go. (laughs) So we're going to be doing that next week. And we we cannot make promises, but we will attempt to have a couple of special guests. We're going to try. We're going to reach out to some of the people who've wanted to do this with us in the past. That's right. We decided this very last minute. So who knows? (laughs) It may just be us. There are no promises, but we will try. Yep. Exactly. Okay. I think that's it for housekeeping. We're house kept. We are house kept, house swept. <laughs> I have been saying just, that for the last three episodes. I know this just one it just, it just hit me. This one, the house swept part, just hit me for some reason. Like all of a sudden, we became a witch podcast instead of a pagan podcast. Hey, Scuba yeah, likes but, it, but not all of us are. That way, do I not all count? Of, all of us, uh, if we say both house kept and house swept, we are all included. We're all encompassed. We're all encompassed <laughs> in this podcast. So get over it. And house druided. House groved. House groved, I don't know. <laughs> House grown. You're ridiculous. Yep, pretty much. Scooby says non witches should sweep. Thank you, Scooby. Yeah, I just in terms true. of like a general housekeeping. That's right. So okay. there we go. Alright, let's move on. <laughs> Since we are house kept and yes. house swept to the topic. That's right. And how's <laughs> <laughs> Okay, moving on, moving on to the topic, which is initiation. Yes. Whether it is initiations into a specific tradition or religion mm-hmm. or self-initiation or would you call it dedication? We will have that discussion. One, initiations aren't strictly a religious thing. That's either. true. Like no. There are initiations into secular groups like yep. fraternities and mm-hmm. sports clubs and things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gangs. Right. Yeah, yeah, gangs. a little dicey, uh-huh. but, yeah. um, but they are initiations. <laughs> Welcome, Pride. <laughs> No, the only initiation into the pride is that you listen to three pagans and a cat. That's it. You're yeah. initiated. You're no. in the pride. Well, it's not beat in, beat out? No. Oh, no. man, that's too bad. Um, but I'm assuming, because you are definition person, have you defined initiation? Oh, I didn't get a, like, a dictionary definition <gasps> this time around. I'm no. shocked. I know. Like, shocked and amazed. No, I was I was more interested in looking into, like, the psychological impacts of initiation. Fair okay, enough. so I have that there are three different kinds of initiation. Okay. So there's the initiation of a, a recognition of a status already gained. So this would be like a bar, a bas mitzvah, a confirmation in a church, that kind of thing. It's a status that you've already college. gained. Graduating from college. Mm-hmm. So that's stuff you've already gained. And so you get the recognition of the that initiation. initiation. That, it, yep. that kind of initiation is your community saying, we right. recognize that you have accomplished X. Correct. Right. Okay. Uh, initiation as an ordeal of transformation. Mm-hmm. So this would be like in the mundane world, that would be like throwing somebody into a pool to teach them to swim, which is how I got taught how to swim. Or, which is or like, terrifying. Right. <laughs> or, or like hazing to right. enter a fraternity. Yep. 
Those Which is things. why I never joined a sorority. Mm-hmm. And then, well, you also went to a Christian college that had no sororities. That's true. But even if I hadn't, <laughs> I wasn't going to. I watched too many of those college movies where bad things happened. <laughs> and then the third type is initiation as a method of transferring spiritual knowledge and power from an initiator to initiatee. Mm-hmm. And I do have the official dictionary definition in front of me. Okay. Which uh, initiation, there are two uh, definitions from the Oxford Languages Dictionary. The action of admitting someone into a secret or obscure society or group, typically with a ritual, or the action of beginning something. Because you can initiate a process. Mm-hmm. Yes. Scoobis says this is tangentially related, but I just thought of it. But is there a way to renounce an initiation? I'd love to undo my baptism. I know that there is a particular druid group out of the UK that requires that you renounce any your, previous, any previous stuff. And actually, they have a form for it hmm. so that I can download. So I will download that and upload it to Discord later tonight. Brad was just saying, according to Google, that once you've been baptized, it's forever, as they put in caps. I think that's bullshit. Uh, by Google, I assume you mean some specific sects that hold that position, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Selkie was saying, I was wondering if you just yell into the void, I denounce this. Works for me. Honestly, I think that would probably work. Maybe pour some water over my head. Because, <laughs> so like, so, so one thing I discovered when I was doing a little research is that I guess there are, there are many sacraments in Catholicism, but there are three that are to do with initiation, which are baptism, mm-hmm. confirmation, and the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And each one is intended to sort of sequentially strengthen your connection to God. Mm-hmm. In the in the Methodist or or Protestant denomination, it's dedication before baptism, before you choose to be baptized. Yeah. baptized. Right, because in Catholicism, babies are baptized. Yes. Because yes. you can't receive any of the other sacraments until you've received right. baptism. That's yeah. the first sacrament. And then when I worked in the ELCA, mm-hmm. we had confirmation first. And then they could do baptism. So but they I had to be confirmed first. That's interesting. So a confirmation is you, like, making a choice. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Saying, I will be a Christian or a Catholic or whatever. Correct. Or in this case, a Lutheran. A Lutheran. Yep. That's interesting that they do that reversal. So that they, I guess they are, they're trying to emphasize the choice. Correct. To follow yep. Christ. Rather yep. than the Catholic version, which is, like, you were born You're in already this. into it. Yeah. <laughs> already in it. But the point is... Christianity has its own right, it form has, it has of initiation, initiation yep. rituals. And they're they're multiple. They're right, varied they're, they're by denomination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you could you could renounce a confirmation just by saying you renounce it, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know if you can like undo a Eucharist because that's eating the communion, right? Right. Refer, stuff, yeah. but it's the, eating the. But Eucharist I guess you would just continue. It's a continual right, yeah. ritual, so right. But it is considered one of the sacraments of initiation because it's supposed to bring you closer to God. Mm-hmm. So I guess you would just have to like declare that you considered those things purely food and wine. Yes, you could right. because the the sacrament of the Eucharist is the transformation of those food objects into the, the body, body and, and blood, blood of Christ. Christ. Yeah. So if you declare that you do not consider that, what's it called? It's not transformation. Transubstantiation. Right. If you, if you like officially declare that you don't consider that transubstantiation to have taken place, mm-hmm. I think you've probably renounced the Eucharist at that point. Yeah. And I think you only need to do that um, if it really bothers you. Right. That, but it does you know, bother you, some people. Yeah. It does. That's what I'm saying. I think, yeah. So I think, I, I think you just, like, you can't. <laughs> you could even just by dedicating yourself to another god or goddess, I think, break whatever 
initiation you had with maybe, um, but I think you can also have them simultaneously. The is the thing like Perhaps. you can yeah. like, like you can dual boot yeah. <laughs> initiations, right? Sure. So like Christian witches who have yeah, they would have both. Do that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's de facto like if you are initiated to another tradition, your original initiation is invalidated. Personally, I think it all comes down to intention. Yeah. I do. I personally You don't do. think the ritual of it matters? Because, I mean, the ritual is I important the rit- to the initiation. Yes, the ritual of it matters, but I think a big part of... Of course, this comes from me being a solitary witch. Mm. I think all the things that I do, whether it's ritual or spellcraft, meditation, intention is 99% of what I do. Intention is always involved. And so if my intention changes, then I can therefore remove whatever I had done previously. You don't, so Scoobus made uh, an interesting, a comment that's funny, but also interesting, which mm-hmm. is sit down with Yahweh and have a dear John conversation. Yeah. Um, you could write a letter. I could write a letter. It would be. Golly, I write some scathing <laughs> letters. Yeah. So my question, I guess, mm-hmm. is if, all that matters to you is the intention. Mm-hmm. Do you have to have that conversation? I, it depends on how you feel about it. How do you feel? How about do it? I feel about it as a former Christian? I basically, there was at one point a time when I basically said, I just don't want to have anything to do with you anymore to God, mm-hmm. to Jesus, to whoever. Right. I have been in a little bit more contact with the Holy Spirit, you know, in recent years, but you know, again, I, I didn't feel like it was really necessary to to unbaptize myself, to undedicate myself, because I made in my own intention a break from Christianity, a break from that deity, and honestly, just by not hanging with them anymore, and hanging with my goddesses and gods of other traditions, that is my intention worked that break for me. Trana said, "I literally do not believe in the God who runs the religion I was baptized into." So I have no need to break up with them. Well, yeah, valid. that's valid. Car, how was it for you? I don't know that I ever had like a quote unquote close relationship with Jesus. Maybe when I was a teenager, maybe. Mm-hmm. But in the last 20 years or so, it was just kind of like for me. Right. And mm-hmm. so I didn't feel like there was any need to do anything because I didn't feel like I really had a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have some interesting things going on here. First of all, Selkie asks, would you burn the letter afterwards or keep it? For me, I would burn it if I was to write to a... To release things? Yeah, yeah to release letter. things. That's traditional, yeah. Mm-hmm, that's pretty traditional. And then we have Rad, who said, if you are a hard polytheist, maybe you can release yourself from the path by having a respectful thank you kind of conversation and do a last ritual or something, if that's something that you feel mm-hmm. drawn to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also, I think the Satanists... At least some Satanists do have, like, an anti-baptism ritual. I think they probably yeah. do. Yeah. And Let then, me just say, Rabbit, getting your name removed from church records is ridiculously hard is, to do. Yeah. It is incredibly hard to do that. Um, I actually had to go into the church that I was raised in, mm-hmm. First Baptist Church, West Palm Beach, Florida, and actually make them take me off the rolls. Like, so that go I to, like, go enough, to the rolls and say, remove right, my name right enough, here while I'm standing here. So I could join another church. Mm-hmm. But the other church wouldn't take me unless I was released. Why? So it's, it has to do with numbers and right. within their denominations. It's, mo- it's about money. It's, it's about, about money. money. Yeah. 
Absolutely. The same thing happened when I left the Methodist church that I grew up in and was baptized into. Um, I, because I then later went into other denominations. I just went out all these fucking vineyards where everyone was just like, I don't think there even were roles. Nope. No. Everyone just shows up. But no, right. that, that just, I mean, there is, um, you know, there's an organization to it in, in right. a business side to yeah. it. We, we've now, I think, pretty well discussed how you might possibly, if you were initiated, into right, especially if you were initiated as a child mm-hmm. or something like that, where you didn't really make like a like a choice mm-hmm. to become initiated into the thing. I mean, I was baptized more than once. I made the choice as a twelve-year-old to get baptized in my church, and you were sprinkled. And I was yeah sprinkled, and I made a choice as an adult to be baptized in the Southern Baptist Church with the dunking. Whoa, 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 hold on! You didn't actually make that choice. You were cajoled into that choice because they wouldn't let you join the church unless you were dunked and not spoiled. Yes, that is true. And my mother said all they got was a wet Methodist. <laughs> but the point is, I don't think one superseded the other. Okay, so a properly done initiation should have the following results. You're better connected with the deity who is your group's magical or spiritual focus. Okay. You're better connected to the spirits of your predecessors. So your ancestors. Yep. Your internal psychic hardware and software are rewired and reprogrammed to enable you to handle the group's flavor of energy better. Interesting. That is interesting. And you are given the ability and right to speak and act as a representative of those predecessors and thus fulfill certain spiritual and or magical responsibilities. That's legit. Yeah, I think that's, especially that last point where... Especially for closed traditions, right? Right. You can't speak for a closed tradition mm-hmm. unless you've been initiated into it. Well, right. in fact, I was reading, I think it was John Beckett's blog uh, from 2015. He wrote about initiations. And one of the things he said was that, uh, like in the Wiccan tradition in Gardnerian and Alexandrian covens, there there are certain things you can't do. Right, there are le- levels. There are levels. There are three levels of initiation. Right. And there are certain things that you can't do unless you complete, the, like, Something that you would do in level two, mm-hmm. you can't do unless you've completed level one. Right. right. Well, yeah, there, there, it's, it's a sequence. Yeah. It's a sequence. And there are tra- there are traditions and aspects of their belief system and how they practice and and do ritual that are unknown there because they're mystery religions, if, you know, or traditions. Right. And so you don't learn the next part of whatever the mystery is until you get to the next level. Right. Right. Because they mystery, have oath-bound secrets, right? Because mystery traditions or religions do teach what their tenets are, their practices through their initiations, right? Or at least that's what John Beckett said. <laughs> it's right. Luck. Not being any of those kinds of Wiccans here, we we can't say from personal experience. No, right. but I have I have talked to our friends Pat and Paul, mm-hmm. who are Alexandrian, and Paul, is, and they're also OTO. Right, and he was there. Are, there are many, many levels, levels, many yes. many levels to the OTO. Yes, many more than three. <laughs> many more than three, and so, but that's another thing is that there are certain things that he can't even talk about mm-hmm. because he's oath bound through those initiations and through what he has to learn get through the initiations. Right. Yeah. Like there's stuff they'll do in public that has no bearing on what they do in private ritual. Right. 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 They have different sets of instructions for the different, I guess, environments. And that's somewhat true with at least the ADF, is that if you do a a public ritual, it actually has to follow the core order. Perfectly. It must include all elements of the core order. Correct. And nothing else else added. 
Yeah. Okay. So now, if you're doing a pot, that's a public ritual. If you're doing a private ritual, you can... You can do whatever. Yeah, ham-fist it however But if you you're going to call it an ADF ritual... Correct. ...and do it in public, you have to follow the core order exactly. Yep. It's a fairly complex it's a core long, order. It's long... It's... What is it? 20, 25 steps? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's very specific. That's and, true. And that's why I'm not a druid. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we've actually, I mean, we've put together public rituals that are not ADF rituals, yeah, but that right. were inspired by the core order. Correct. Yep. Yep. You take elements. Uh huh. But we can't call those ADF rituals because we're not following the core order. Right. Exactly. Yep. And exactly. What, Nor would we want to call them no, ADF no. rituals. No. And what about in heathenry? Do you have like there are bloats and different types of ritual within heathenry, right? There are. And those different rituals have different components, mm-hmm. but also because heathenry is really decentralized, like every every hearth, every kindred is likely to celebrate them and to perform those rituals a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So there might be like individual initiate there might be individual initiations into specific kindreds, mm-hmm. but there might not be. Okay. So do you like the druids to do the heathens have like a public ritual that you that would be kind of generalized? Not any of the organizations that I know. I mean I mean like you can go to the trough or whatever to, to lots of heathen organizations to find out like what the general outline of a bloat is. Mm-hmm. But there's not like a you must perform these steps in this order for it to be a bloat. Okay. Like rule book. Okay. Is that because people don't really know exactly how heathen? Yeah, like we have one or two primary and secondary sources for what that looked like. A lot of it's reconstructed, and we're not sure if they were always performed this way or if we just have you know these two or three examples that were performed these two or three ways mm-hmm. and how those things line up and where they when they took place in relationship to each other. So, and like I said, heathenry is really, really decentralized. Mm -hmm. Like, even Mm -hmm. though you have a couple of the bigger organizations like the Troth, there are lots of smaller, more individual heathen groups that, like, Mm -hmm. just aren't paying attention to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rano is saying that uh, she started out as a Wiccan, um, but it was, and it was a great way to learn. It appeals to a side of us that wants to be part of a family and in on secrets, but otherwise it was too restrictive. And that was the same for me. Wicca felt, even though I was, I was always solitary. Yeah, yeah. There are too many rules in your solitary, solitary Wicca. too many rules in my solitary You are practice. creating too many rules. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> I was following Scott Cunningham to the letter. Uh-huh. Because I had come out of Christianity, well, which I, has a bunch of rules. Well, and you also tended, when you were in Christianity, you trended towards legalism. That's true. That's true. Which is a kind of Christianity that's very rule-based. It is. And so that that uh, took a long time for to me to break yeah. and unlearn in my solitary practice. But so something interesting about that, Rana said that it appeals to the side of us that wants to be part of the family and in on the secrets, is I was looking into what the psychological effects of initiation are. Yes. And... So some of this is specific to, like, hazing and the kinds of initiations where there is an ordeal that you have to go through to become part of the group. Mm -hmm. But some of it's more generalized. Going through an initiation is usually a lot of work. It's a process that requires you to invest something of yourself. Mm -hmm. So it has two primary effects. The first effect is that it creates a sunk cost fallacy. 
which is where you've already put a lot of effort into something. Okay. So you feel like if you stop now, all that effort will have been wasted. So it's better to continue, even if it's going to cost you more to continue. Is that coercive? Sort of. So sunk like cost... you feel obligated? You, yeah, but you're obligating yourself, essentially. Okay. The sunk cost fallacy is like, okay, it cost me two spoons to do X. It's going to cost me four more spoons to complete X. Okay. But if I don't complete X, I've already used those two spoons, so they're lost, wasted spoons. Uh, okay. So even though it's objectively more expensive to complete X, and X might not be something I even really want by the time I've spent all those spoons, the fact that I've already spent two spoons means I'm more likely psychologically to continue spending spoons to complete X. Interesting. It's just a psychological thing. Right, right. But so the sunk cost fallacy means that if you can get people to expend some kind of energy into becoming part of the group, mm -hmm. as soon as they've spent some amount of energy on that process, they're more likely to complete that process because it's already cost them something mm -hmm. and they don't want to feel like they wasted that cost. Their time and their money. Uh -huh. Right. Which has sort of the side-on effect of cognitive dissonance and group attraction. So because you've spent this and you have the sunk cost fallacy that might be causing you to pursue something that you might even not really want anymore, or you aren't mm -hmm. sure how much you want, but you've spent something of yourself on it. So you're going to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. It creates this cognitive dissonance in your brain where you want the thing, but you don't want the thing simultaneously, or the thing is really hard to get mm -hmm. because you're psychologically primed to pursue it anyway, you have what's called a group attraction to the people who support your your decision to continue pursuing thing, mm -hmm. which are the people who are already in the group. So mm -hmm. it creates these really strong psychological ties to the people in the group as you're going through this initiation process, which is why in some groups, especially where this is really extreme, you end up with like really extreme conformity to in-group values that don't match out-group values. I could say that's sort of what happened with the online coven that I was uh, a part of for a time in that I found it, the further I got into it, the further I realized that I didn't really align with everything that I was learning mm -hmm. or doing to become a part of that coven. So um, I decided to separate myself from that process, mm -hmm. but it took months for me to stop feeling guilty. Yeah, and I remember there was a long time where you were expressing to me your dissatisfaction with the group and with what you were learning, but you were really resistant to the idea of not being part of it anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was, it, so I'm, I guess that's part of what you were describing. Yeah, yep. Thanks to our Tiger Solanox for introducing us to Weavers of the Web, an interfaith pagan ATC, that's Aquarian Tabernacle Church, organization based in Lansing, Michigan. Weavers of the Web is a public Wiccan church that aims to be family-friendly, supportive, and informative, with the goal of ensuring that no one ever need to be alone in their spiritual needs. Weavers is currently raising funds for the down payment on a property, which would allow them to expand their current network of resources. During social distancing, you can find them online at weaversoftheweb.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash weaversatc. Weavers is also holding regular Zoom meetings, online rituals, and Discord discussions during this time. 
Excellent. Melkor says, lost cost fallacy versus invested interest can get really muddy. That's true. Uh, I don't mean to imply that, like, initiation always makes people, like, pursue something that they don't really want Mm -hmm. or, like, ties them to groups they're not really committed to. Mm -hmm. It's just something to keep in mind when you're pursuing an initiation, especially one that is really, like, resource or time intensive, is that because you're expending those resources at that time, you're going to be more inclined to continue expending those resources and mm-hmm. time. Right. So, like, you have to sort of make regular assessments of whether it's still something you actually want. Mm-hmm. I think part of it for me, too, is um, I have been a solitary for so long that I was resistant to, <laughs> to being part of a coven, even an online coven. <laughs> but it was really interesting because, yeah, you were, you were resistant to being part of it. But at the same time, you didn't want to leave it. Exactly, because I had some really great, I built some really great relationships with people, and I enjoyed the rituals that I participated in. So, But there was just some, as the further we got in, there were just some differences in how I view things mm-hmm. with the overall beliefs of the coven. Right. And so there was, it created a dissonance right. for me. This and tension. It created a tension that made me feel like I was being disingenuous to myself, but also to the coven. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was not right for me to part- be participating in those rituals if I wasn't aligned with those ideals. So was there an initiation into that coven that you took part in? There would have been if I had completed the uh, the, okay. the year and a day study part. Right. Which, which I, and, and, and I did observe a uh, an initiation because some of the, mm-hmm. the people, the friends I've made, did get initiated into the coven. That year and a day before you mm-hmm. can get initiated is, I think, part of the that's the whole that reason investment for of time right. and energy and because you know, do you really want to be a part yeah. of this? Is this really what's calling to you? Because sometimes it's not. It seemed at the time like it when was you started. when right. I started. It seemed very, very much like I was aligned with this. It was and I'd just say, a, yeah, I'd say you were like halfway or two thirds of the way through before I was. Yeah. I was yeah. quite a ways into it before I made this choice that. This really, this particular direction was not necessarily for me. It doesn't mean I, I don't want to be part of that overall community, uh, Community, but I don't know. It, it's just... Melkor says that's what the year is for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And I realized even though initially it seemed like what I wanted, it's it wasn't exactly what right. I was looking for. So Rabbit said earlier, I think I just want to join a pagan group because I want pagan friends. Mm-hmm, right. And that's completely valid. But you don't have to join necessarily like a, an initiatory, an initiatory tradition group. or even a coven or a grove or mm-hmm. something like that because we used to run an, a, yeah. a thing called Communitas Paganis. Mm-hmm. It was um, just a discussion group. That was just a discussion group. Yeah. So, you know, and we had people from all different pagan paths show up and some Christians show up mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so, and it was it was in the basement of a UU. Yeah. So right, yeah, it was in a yeah of a former UU. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I forgot they're not letting. <laughs> yeah. So I totally get that because you know I'm the extrovert right. in the family. Hard so constantly seeking more community than he Absolutely. has. Absolutely right. And that's I think the thing you've really missed going into paganism because you haven't. Does the ADF even do initiations? They do. I mean, it, we, yes and no. It's complicated. So, okay. what's, it, what's the situation with the ADF? So the ADF has several different courses that you can take. Right. So the first one is a year and a day, and then you become more than just a member of the ADF. You become, you know, this next step. And then you can choose kind of which way you want to go. Like to specialize? Yeah, because they're really, in, in Druidry, there are three different paths. 
Like the Lolantian sky? Like the three So No. So there are bards. Okay. And bards are storytellers, verse makers, music composers, oral historians, genealogists, that kind of thing. Okay. I think genealogy, that seems like you Well, the genealogy definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, ovates, which are kind of the prophets and poets. Okay. Okay. And then druids. And druids tend to be more of the kind of the hierarchical leaders of everything. So, like, they help make laws. They're the judges. They're the, so. They're the structure. Right. They're the structure. Yep. Okay. It says you sound like a bard. Just purely based on the genealogy stuff. Yeah. Yep. You, you, sound like, <laughs> you sound like you're a bard. I did, I yep. did spend a lot of my life on genealogy. On genealogy. Yeah. Brad says that they would argue that you are a bard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're already there. You're already there. So, and I'm, we have this podcast, so you do storytelling and yeah, uh, right, tradition yeah. and stuff. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think you, I think you hit the qualifications. Maybe not for the <laughs> ADF, but right. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's what it comes down to, too, because we also have, you know, you have traditions and religions and spiritualities and groups, right, and whatever you want to call them, who are, you know, they are initiatory specific. Let's like, yeah. you cannot claim to be part of their X group, right? Group, yeah. If you are not initiated into their tradition, group, whatever, yeah. by an elder or through the regular initiatory process. Yes, because initiatory traditions specifically mm-hmm. cannot self-initiate into. Exactly. So, like, somebody couldn't say, I'm an Alexandrian Wiccan, if they're not initiated into an mm-hmm. exa- Alexandrian coven. Right. Because they are an initiatory tradition. Now, could a solitary Wiccan who is a Former Ale- initiated Alexandrian still claim to be an Alexandrian Wiccan. That's an interesting question. I would, as a solitary, I would say yes. I would think the Alexandrian tradition would say no. That's that my guess. That's my guess. And they no longer participated. They would be removed from the rolls. That would be my Un- guess. Unlike the Christian Church, they don't where they can't get you off the damn roll. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> they you leave one of those. Do. Yeah. Oh if you gosh. want to get out of one of those, they just go. Okay, go. Yep. yep. See you. Peace. That's true. Goodbye. That's true. But so that, that does seem more like it seems more likely to me like if you But that's because there's no money attached. That's true. <laughs> um so. you're not tithing to your right. coven. Right. Well as, far as I know. That depends on the coven, true. perhaps. Yeah. True. There yeah. may be some covens where you tithe. Yeah, yeah. It, it depends on but the coven. But that's not like a it, but it, that's not like a widespread no. tradition right. like yeah. it is in churches. I do yeah. know that the OTO has dues. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They have dues. Um so does the ADF. Mm-hmm. Yes. The ADF does have dues. Yeah. And don'ts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, so um, that I belong to. And, and, oh yeah, that's right. And most of the time that's to fund organizational stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's not like it's paying for no. the priest or priestess no, or, to yeah, like go so. to the Bahamas or whatever. Right, right. yeah. It's paying for organizational <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Someone buys, the, someone has to buy the snacks for your coven, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're not talking about mega covens and big stadiums. Wouldn't that be yeah. a thing? <laughs> Holy shit! Wouldn't that be a thing? We just we just need the pagan Billy Graham to show up. <laughs> oh Lord, man! No, I think that's I think that's the path to doom. <laughs> that, is, that is the fucking path. Yeah, that's to doom. We, we ever get Don't there, mean. we've we've gone too far. There's like a uh, mid-size range where we want to be. Right. <laughs> right between too obscure for respect and too big for consequences. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's time. Oh, okay. For Old Stone Corner! Okay. <laughs> so today I'm talking about Amber. 
I was going to talk about last month, but things happened. Amber is usually classified as a gemstone, but it is not a mineral, as you probably know. It is organic. It is fossilized tree resin, so it's resin that is uh, millions of years old that has been polymerized over lots of time and heat and pressure. Pressure, yeah. So that it has become relatively hard. So amber is a Mohs 2 to a 2.5, which means it's hard enough that you can't scratch it with your fingernail, but you can scratch it with pretty much everything else. Uh, and that's actually a, a good way to distinguish between amber, which is millions of years old, and copal, which mm. is resin that is a few hundred to thousands of years old. Copal is like a one on the Mohs, and you can scratch it with your fingernails. Yes, because you can use it as incense. Exactly. You can use also amber as incense. You can essentially grind it. Great Yeah, grind it into into like a dust or a powder and burn that, and it has a sort of a pine-like resinous smell, but it's um, it's much milder with amber than it is with copal. That's interesting. Does all amber have a pine smell? So is it all pine sap? It's not all pine sap, although the the Greeks and Romans were convinced it was because it does all smell like pine. Yeah, it all gotcha. has a pine-like, yeah, uh, like a woody pine-like resin scent. Interesting. Mm, yep. Interesting. Yeah, um, the only thing I know about amber is what I learned on Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Jurassic Park actually was responsible for making amber much more popular. <laughs> Specimens of amber that have uh, insect inclusions in them are very rare. I mean, there have been some, uh, and because they're millions of years old, it's almost always an extinct species. Mm. You can also obviously find amber that has plant matter inclusions, um, which are also interesting, but not as dramatic, let's say, as the insect inclusions. Which would make it very expensive. Right? Yes. Uh, insect uh, inclusions in particular are very expensive, in part because science really wants them. Right. To make dinosaurs. No, well, no, but to do science with. <laughs> to do science. And That's they, fair. And they actually have a hard time getting them because collectors buy them for huge sums of money. <laughs> because they want to make dinosaurs. Because the collectors probably do want to make dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Okay. <laughs> so long as we get to the dinosaurs, I'm cool. As long as we at some point reach the dinosaurs, That's yeah. Right. There probably is out there some... Squeaky so. said making dinosaurs is science. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Melkor says a collector scientist. Yeah, there's, there's, there's got to be one out there somewhere, uh, making a, a good faith effort. So let me ask this: oh, If you were to, if you were buying amber or looking to buy amber, and it had uh, some kind of insect inclusion, and it wasn't expensive, would you then think it was probably a fake? Yes. So there are actually several ways you can identify fakes because there's a lot of fake amber on the market. So uh, some of those are actually glass or plastic, mm-hmm. and the inclusion will almost always be a modern insect. This is an easy way to tell because amber that has inclusions is millions of years old, and it's not going to have like a modern spider or a modern fruit fly in it. Mm-hmm. The other way that you can tell, because sometimes it will be copal, which uh, again, it's going to have a modern in uh, modern it insect. Similar when it's been polished. It's it's very similar. Copal tends to be more of a yellow color. It tends to be more translucent than amber does. Amber can be translucent or opaque. It tends to look more of an amber color. Well, actually, the color ranges widely. So, okay. So amber That's is the, the, tradi- the traditional <laughs> amber color. Right. Is that yellow brown sort of goldeny right. glowing yep. color? 
you can also sometimes get red amber, um, like a like a really strong cherry red color. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually the result of oxidation. And you can rarely get green amber, which is sometimes the result of the resin absorbing plant matter and chlorophyll and breaking down. Okay. And from some Dominican mines, you can get blue amber. Ooh which looks like regular sort of yellow-brown, honey-colored amber under artificial light, but under natural sunlight will fluoresce a bright blue color. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Next time I need to buy amber, you're coming with me, and you're going to help me make sure it's real. (laughs) I like Dominican cigars, so I might actually like Dominican amber as well. (laughs) You might. The other major source of amber is um, Baltic amber. Okay. Which so Dominican amber is mined usually, often in very unsafe conditions, and Baltic amber you actually find in a lot of cases was washed up Mm. because amber floats. Oh, interesting. It has a very low density. It's um even very large pieces of amber are very lightweight, surprisingly light. Can we try it later? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, okay. so, so they'll float in salt water. Okay. But there are some other tests you can do. Like I said, copal will um, score much more easily with your fingernail. If you're trying to determine whether you have a plastic fake or a copal, like a resin fake, mm-hmm. copal will also give off that pine scent a little sweeter and stronger oh, okay. than than amber will. Plastic won't if you heat it. Mm-hmm. So like if you either touch it with a hot needle or sometimes if you rub it on the palms of your hand, you can you can get it warm enough to release a very light pine scent. But the best way to identify true amber versus copal, so amber used to be called electrum because it stores static electricity. Gotcha. So if you rub a piece of amber on like a wool cloth or on the carpet or whatever and then hold it over a tissue or some little pieces of paper, it will pick them up with the static electricity. So, copal and plastic will not do that. Can I rub it on my head and then stick it to the wall like you can a balloon? No, the the static electricity is not that strong, but it will pick up little pieces of paper and hold them to the surface. That's That's very very cool. cool. Yep. So that's seriously, you're going amber shopping with me. Okay. That's the that's the easiest non-destructive test for true amber. And the reason I say this is because in a lot of pagan events, you'll see a lot of amber. Yes. And I would not be able to tell if it was genuine or not. You will. And sometimes you'll see it, um, sometimes you will see copal sold as amber or as, quote, young amber. Okay. Because it's the, the primary difference. I mean, there are chemical differences in terms of how much polymerization has right. gone on. Mm-hmm. But the primary difference between copal and amber yeah. is time. time. Huge amounts of time. Yeah. Not that I'll be around, but I still have some maple sap at the brewery. So could I just, like, bury that? Um, the conditions to make amber are actually extremely specific. Okay. So, so no. probably not. Okay, no. that's too bad. <laughs> um, you cannot make your own amber. Because I just want to, like, draw... Just, just a draw, like, draw a map X Draw a map X and X and X this one. Here's some in amber. In several million years, <laughs> and hopefully an amber deposit. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Find a way to preserve your map so that it was readable millions of years from now would be the, the interesting exercise. I, I, I just scratch it on a piece of amber. <laughs> I can see it now. Amber's too soft. You need a diamond for that. He would write out, insert, 
car is just here. <laughs> <laughs> and hope that comes to Amber. And then it appears and just sort of like, hmm. Mysterious. There's also something called pressed amber, which is when, so pressed amber is, is amber, but it's not a whole piece of amber. Okay. It's a bunch of small pieces of amber that have been heat and pressure fused in big machines, essentially. (laughs) So it's, it's technically still amber, but it wasn't found in one piece, essentially. So in terms of magical or spiritual purposes, yeah, uh, because it's very, very old, obviously, Amber has associations to history and to ancestors. If you happen to have a specimen that has a planet jar or an animal inclusion, an mm-hmm. insect inclusion, I mean, I don't have one, so I can't test, but my guess is you could reach out to the spirit of that plant that or, or insect to work together with the Amber, mm-hmm. which would be very interesting since those are mostly extinct yeah. Insects and plants. That would be cool. Okay, right. the hunt begins. No. <laughs> Bearing in mind, yes, that amber with real inclusions would be very expensive. So um, then, so then, what we're saying is that my stuff buried for a thousand years, with me inside of part of me inside of it, people could then work with me in the future. Yes. There we go. If we could make amber that way. Yes. <laughs> but no. <laughs> Under this, if you had the hypothetical circumstances to create amber, yes. What if I put it underground and rolled a fork truck over top of it and just let like the fork the truck stick Like the very heavy machinery you right, were just yeah. talking about. <laughs> I don't know that, that would work. Uh, can't say for sure, but I have doubts. Amber's also good for wisdom and, and for clarifying secrets or, or hidden things. Okay. And, because it carries that stack of electricity... It's also good for um, energy transference. Okay. That's very cool. Sorry we kept interrupting. That's you. okay. This is a fun one. <laughs> Amber is fun. Uh-huh, yes. You know, it just is. It's just a good time. It's a good, it's a good time. It's a party. Oh, Talking and um, a little side note. When you see Amber listed in perfumes as like a scent note, yeah. that is almost never the actual pine-like resinous scent of Amber. What are they, what are they using? So they're usually using benzoin and vanilla. Mm-hmm. Um, benzoin is another kind of resin mm-hmm. and it has a much warmer tone. That's true. Than actual Amber does. And it is usually an attempt to pseudo recreate the warmer, muskier scent of ambergris, mm-hmm. which is a separate thing. Ambergris is an animal product. It's like, it's something whales produce. Right, right. Uh, so ambergris means gray amber. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, they got these names because ambergris with whale corpses would wash up on shore, and so would pieces of amber. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. In, in... Baltic areas. Right. So, and you can get benzoin like in a powder and oil. Um, so that's, so, so people associate amber with that sort of warmer, muskier, Mm -hmm. almost spicy scent. Mm -hmm. That is not what amber actually smells like. If you use it as an incense, it smells like pine. Like pine. Cool. Interesting. So that's it for Oaks Stone Corner. So on to other things. Well, um, still talking about initiation. Still talking about mm-hmm. initiation. One of the things that I thought was interesting, again, I got a lot of my information from John Beckett. <laughs> I'll confess it right now. That's okay. Beckett's um, good. Beckett's yeah. a good source. Yeah. I like One of the things that he was pointing out is that, you know, mystery traditions 
almost always use initiation. You kind of have to. You have to yeah. because they have it's a mystery. They have mysteries, yeah. Um, whereas modern paganism is a nature religion and so some a lot of them are. some of them are, but a lot of people believe that all paganism is right. they related. believe wrongly. Right, yes. exactly. <laughs> but that's his his point is that modern paganism tends to believe that it is a nature religion like Wicca is a nature religion as opposed to a mystery religion, which mm-hmm. is actually not, not accurate, not really, yeah. uh, depending on the tradition that you're right. talking about. Depending on which kind of Wicca. Right. And so my what I'm trying to get around to is that um, you cannot put it all in one box. You cannot say that all pagan uh, traditions and systems are and beliefs initiatory. are initiatory. You cannot say that they're all nature-based. Sometimes people think, oh, if you are a pagan, you know, or if you're a Wiccan... It, it has to be based in nature, and that's not necessarily true. No. Especially if you are in, like, a British traditional. Mm-hmm. It, it's more, that's more... More occult. Occult and god-goddess-oriented, yeah. that, that heteronormative, more right. deity-oriented. Yeah. Not to say that they're not connected to nature. Of course they are. But that's not necessarily their emphasis. Right. So I we're think... all humans. We're all part of nature. Right. That's not what everyone's obsessed with. And... You, I, you can't. So I think there's also, you know, you can't say all of paganism is initiatory, mm-hmm. obviously, but um, there's because there is a, a question among people, like you know, so much of paganism, modern paganism especially, is solitary, yes. and so you know, as we were talking about, you cannot say you are initiated into a tradition that if you're solitary that you haven't actually been initiated into, right. you can't self-initiate into certain things, right. Yeah, but so, you can self-initiate or self-dedicate into other things. So Justin asks, what about self-initiations, recommended way to do it, or even a three-pack branded self-initiation <laughs> ritual? What Gwen is saying is true. Yeah. There are some traditions you have to be initiated into by an initiator. Right. Those tend to be more structured. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're closed traditions like voodoo. Mm-hmm. And they have a very specific yep, initiatory. Yep. Um, system. Lots of rules. Yeah. If you're just a solitary and you're not concerned with being part of one of those traditions, I don't Mm -hmm. think that there's anything wrong with Mm self-initiation. But again, I think there's, there is that, there's a argument that among pagans of whether that's true or not. I personally agree with you. I don't think there's any problem with self-initiation. I'm saying if you're not Claiming to be part of an initiatory tradition, no one is able to tell you there's anything wrong with a self-initiation because you're not claiming to be part of an initiatory tradition. I get that, but But there are people who. But there are right, but those people are wrong. (laughs) What is their argument even? Like I'm not like if you're like if someone is a self-initiated solitary Wiccan, Mm -hmm. right? But they're not claiming to be part of any specific mm-hmm. Wiccan tradition. Mm-hmm. The people claiming their self-initiation isn't valid have literally no argument. I know. And that's what <laughs> Scott Cunningham's whole point was, is that you could self-dedicate or self-initiate into your own solitary practice. Mm-hmm. You're essentially creating a one-person tradition. You're creating tradition. a one-person tradition, depending on, you know, God or goddess or... Or and like, just Wicca in and, general. And if you look at it that eclectic way, Wicca. If you look at it that way, all the initiatory traditions started with one person who couldn't be initiated by anyone else because they were the first person. Mm-hmm. Right. So I am. I am a. I am a strong believer in self dedication or self initiation. If you are not trying to be part of an initiatory right. tradition, and um, Squeaky reminds that Cunningham does have a section in one of his books about creating your own tradition. Yeah. 
Which I think is essentially yeah. what you do every time you self-initiate. Exactly. Because you create, like, a single-person tradition. Exactly. And that's what I did as a solitary. Yeah, so, so like, I never bought, I didn't do, like, a self-initiation into heathenry. I was just like, I'm a heathen now. <laughs> <laughs> that was your version <laughs> of it. Yeah. Like, I didn't do a ritual. I just, I just was like, hey, various gods, I worship you now. And that worked. <laughs> that worked for me. But what was your self-initiation as a, as a witch? Like? Well, I've had, I've done several. Right, you've done, okay, just, I've done several. Just talk about all your initiations. Okay, well, initially, <laughs> when, when I started as a solitary, I followed Scott Cunningham's system, system of self-initiation as just an eclectic witch. Malcorp, how's that the initial initiation? Yeah, that was my initial initiation. <laughs> wow. Yeah, say that three times. <laughs> but then when I started working with different deities, uh-huh. I felt drawn to initiate myself as a priestess of that particular uh, deity after a time of working with that deity. Gotcha. So I might not be officially, according to some people, uh, you according know, to their tradition, according to their, if they're, if they have a tradition, I might not be a priestess in their tradition, but in my own service to Hakati or Frigga or Brigid, I am eventually going to be a priestess. <laughs> I did. I was uh, a self-initiated priestess of Artemis back in the day. Yeah, I remember that. I have not initiated as a priestess to any of the current deities that I work with, but that's something I want to work toward, and that's something I've been feeling called to do to become a priestess of, so quest- if not all, at least one of them. Question: mm-hmm. What distinguishes a priestess from just a worshiper? Well, that's a good question. I guess for me, a priestess is someone who teaches and leads. Okay. For a long time, that's why I, I would not call myself a priestess at this time. Right. But I have started doing like online rituals, uh, for full moon and new moon. And for whatever reason. Dipnon? My, yes, the dipnon. And so for me, that is, I'm not calling myself a priestess, but I was in a priestess role by leading those rituals. So is it, so I guess you would say for sure. Mm-hmm that it is possible to be a priestess outside of a tradition. I believe so. Now, I'm sure there are many, 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 many people who would disagree with me. And that's okay, because I'm not in your tradition, so I don't give a fuck. Right. But, <laughs> but um, I, I do think it's possible to be a, a priestess now within your own So, But, 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 you but do just have... leading a ritual wouldn't necessarily make you a priest or priestess, would it be? No, I don't think so. Because, I mean, like the three of us led writ together mm-hmm. yeah. that I, we wrote. I think a that... lot of it depends on if you are called by that particular deity or deities that you're working with to be a priest or priestess of, that works with them. But to be a priest or priestess instead of just a worshiper, mm-hmm. do you need a community to serve? Possibly. So, but I don't know because I know that when I was a, a priestess of Artemis, I was within a community of witches. We were just a little online back in the day, you know, AOL. I was to say community, ye, the old-fashioned <laughs> kind of online, the olden forum, days forum boards. And, <laughs> you yeah. got mail. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. We were a forum, IRC. a private, a yeah. private board. But um, and actually, I was. I guess you could say I was initiated by another follower of Artemis who was a priestess of Artemis. Okay. And she's, and you were serving that community. I was serving that community and she, and she, she guided you. She guided me through that. And she was the one who was like, 
you need to be a priestess of Artemis. And so she initiated me. Okay, so you didn't self-initiate. I guess, well, I felt like I self-initiated. But you were, you were guided through your initiation by a pre-existing priestess of Artemis. Yes. (laughs) But you had a community to serve specifically in that function. We didn't really do, we didn't do like rituals and stuff. My, my, again, it was a, it was more of a private thing. It was, I was a solitary. I've always been a solitary. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to figure out what, I don't know how to, this role is if you're a solitary. Well, you serve the god or goddess, whatever they tell you to do, you do, I guess. I guess that's valid, yeah. And if they say you are my priest or priestess, you are. Well, yeah, I think as that's long, probably, I mean, yeah. if you accept that role. Yeah. yeah. If you accept that role. Scoob, it says, they need a t-shirt that says, I'm not in your <laughs> tradition, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> they should just pass those, they should make some t-shirts like that and just pass them out every time you go to a con. And then everyone can just greet the, like, have that foremost in their minds to reduce arguments. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll probably start arguments. <laughs> but if everyone's position is, you know. I'm not in your I'm tradition, not in your tradition so, I so I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, I think, you know, as long as everyone was meeting each other on that level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But part of it is, you know, as a solitary, you make up your own tradition, you create your own rules. So if And you, that's your own initiation. And that's your own initiation or dedication. So if you want to be a priest or priestess, you can be. Alright, you've said this several times now. What to you is the difference between a dedication and an initiation? I think a dedication and maybe this comes from my Christian upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> you did say you were dedicated Circling back around. <laughs> Circling back around. Um, I think it's a, you know, a dedication is saying that you are, are learning what you need to learn to follow this particular path that you are either creating or if you have a, someone who's guiding you on it. Like I dedicated myself to my mentor, you know, and if I had, if she and I had finished together, she probably eventually would have led me into a self-initiation. But, but even like when you started with the Hikate, you said you were, a dedicant, yeah, uh, yeah. a Hikate. A dedicant. But you were not initiated. Exactly. And I'm still not, I'm still right. a dedicant. I'm right. not initiated into any traditions because I was working with the, the modern Hikate so tradition. To you, a dedication is like a pre-initiation process. To me, yes. I don't know if that's what other people would believe, but. Interesting. The ADF has a dedicant path. Has a dedicant path. That's the first step. Is that Before considered... you choose to be a bard and obey, so or is the dedicant path considered an initiation, or is it a pre-initiation, and then you pick one of three initiations? Correct. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's a pre, and then you pick yep. one of three initiations. Exactly. Interesting. Now, um, Rana says, I mentor newbies regularly. We've never done any type of dedication. That sounds really heavy. Yes, and it was. And my the mentor I had was very, very serious. Yes, she was. She was super. It was uh, actually traditional. It was traditional witchcraft, yeah. not Wicca. It was and by email, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. And she also, it was it was a um, oath. Yeah, it was oath. It was oath. It was oath bound. Right. So there are things that she taught me that I. Don't talk about. And we don't say her name. Nope. Um, but she's not around anymore, so. But well, even I mean, she she's was. probably, she may still be around, but you lost her. <laughs> yeah. Um, she quit answering emails. Right, so. exactly. What you I'm got saying? ghosted by a mentor. Yep. Actually, she got, she ghosted completely off the internet. Yeah. Nobody knows exactly what wow. happened to her. There are some people who believe she died. Hopefully not. Yeah. Hopefully she just, I don't know. Because she had a whole, there were a bunch of us. Or something. Right. There yeah. was a whole community that worked with her. And she just disappeared one day. Nobody knew what happened to that her. That sucks. So. Yeah. That's rough. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the early internet, it would be harder to find out if someone mm-hmm. had died. Mm-hmm. 
It's time for Gwen Scott and Gems. I forgot all about that. That's my, that's my bard coming out again. That's uh-huh. the bard. Yeah, the singing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So today what I'm going to talk about is mullen. And you might have heard it pronounced because I used to pronounce it mullen because it is spelled M-U-L-L-E-I-N, but it's actually pronounced like sullen. So, so mullen. mullen. And its official name is Verbascum thapsus. And that is the most common version of that. There's over 200 species, and it's all over the world. It's it's present everywhere. And it's often, you find it in, uh, if a lot of people probably consider it a weed, you'll find it in people's gardens, in their yards, on the roadside. It has um, leaves that are harvested, you know, when they're new, and then you dry them, and you can use them either fresh or dried for various medicines and stuff. And it grows up, I think it has like maybe a, a cone shape. With, with little blossoms. I'm not exactly sure because I usually just see the, the leaves right. in kind of a rosette. It is used medicinally for all kinds of things, including cough, congestion, asthma, constipation, pain, inflammation, migraine, help with sleep, gout, and earache. So you could just say COVID-19. Kind of. Yeah. But, um, except it wouldn't except actually it help wouldn't with actually right, yeah. anything. But, but it can be used as a tea, as an extract, as a powder... There's all kinds of, of things that you can use it for. And they, like, you can create an oil. You can infuse it as an oil for the earache that you drop. Hmm. And like they've garlic. actually, yes. And they've actually done studies on its effectiveness as a painkiller for earaches. It's better or worse than garlic. Because we it's used actually, garlic a lot when I was a kid. I know. Actually, it's supposed to be better. Hmm. Can do you get an earache again so we can check it? No. Okay. Just and you it. would do an infusion with, with a carrier oil. You can either do it as a, uh, a hot infusion where you heat the oil and let it the the leaves either fresh or dried infuse into your carrier oil for like several hours or you can do a cold infusion where you put it into uh, a cold oil whatever carrier oil you're using and let it sit in there for like up to a week hmm. and obviously if you do that you need to have it in a cool dry place but um it's supposedly they're saying based on studies so far mm-hmm. Um, there's research very, is ongoing. Research is ongoing. There's very few side effects, although they do not know how it affects pregnant women or nursing mothers, that kind of thing. Uh, the so usual cautions. Just yeah. usual cautions with that. Talk to your doctor if you're going to drink the mullen tea yeah. or anything like that. But um, it can cause contact dermatitis, the leaves, mm. can cause contact dermatitis in some people who have sensitive skin or maybe a ragweed allergy oh, okay. kind of thing. Sometimes that so. happens. So they said if you're going to use, like, Mullen oil or anything like that. Do a patch test. Yeah, yeah, do a patch test. Make sure you're not sensitive to it. Um, as far as magical uses go, it can be used for protection from nightmares, negativity, anything like that. In fact, it's uh, encouraged that along with lavender or Sleep rosemary, plant. exactly. You uh, you want to plant it outside your house near a door, and um, you can also wear or it. Could you do it like outside your bedroom windows? Yes, you could. And um, you can wear it to bolster your courage. So if you wanted to um, put some of the powder in a, in, you know, in a, a grigri bag or mm-hmm. uh, some kind of a witch bag or in a locket or the oil, you can put some of the oil in the locket. Right, right. You can uh, to bolster. Does it have a nice scent? I honestly don't know. It's also it's also good for drawing love mm. to you, and it's good for control. And it is good for health spells. So, because, and because there's so many different things that it does for health 
right. benefits. It's very it's health generally. Yeah, health generally. I have not personally worked with Mullen, so I can't tell you what it's what the right. scent is or uh, you know, its effectiveness. But I, I like heard, the anti nightmares vibe though. That's yes, cool. I've heard a lot of really good things about mulling. You can you can use it. You can add it to incense. The flowers, the blossoms. You can add the dried blossoms into an incense. Hmm. So I'm assuming if it, you know it has probably not an it doesn't have an offensive right. scent. <laughs> you can use it necessarily. You can use it as an oil by if you want to prevent nightmares. You can either. Hmm dab it on your forehead, the oil, or sense. you could, you know, put some of the powder in a bag under your pillow. Right. There's all kinds of things you can do with the leaves, with the powders, with the teas. You can also drink it to prevent some of these things, like to prevent negativity or nightmares or so. Anyway, I, I recommend looking into mullen. Um, it's my understanding is it's very easy to grow. And um, like I said, I feel like I, I've seen that word. A lot. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen it's it a very in ingredient sta- lists. Or- it's actually really sta- a standard herb that's used in a lot of different witchcraft and hoodoo. Gotcha. All kind of voodoo spells. Yeah, I believe, like it, use it. it just sounds it's a very, very familiar. Yeah, it's a very straightforward witchy kind of herb to use. It, you'll find it in a lot of. So it shouldn't in be a too hard spells. to acquire. No, you can get it super easy. Uh, as far as like the powdered mm-hmm. and the tea, the oil you would uh, you can find extracts and things like that, but you're better off making the oil yourself. Gotcha. You're not going to find like a mullen essential oil, gotcha. but you can create your own infused oil to use for magical purposes. Cool. So that's it for Quinn's Garden Gems. That's right. Nice. Oh, 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 oh. Our tiger, Jim Two Snakes, has spent much of the past three decades proving he's old, providing spiritual and emotional support for individuals that are looking for accountability, wisdom, and safe, supportive spaces where they can discover how to walk their own path. Jim is now offering his spiritual JAD service in a Patreon structure. This informal program includes regular contact with Jim and specific guidance for what's going on in your life right now, along with a talking stick monthly meeting for some levels, regular phone calls ranging from one to four times a month for others, And Jim will help you with goal setting, ritual, and uh, energetic practice ideas, teaching, suggestions, support, and accountability in whatever it is that you want to accomplish. And because it's your path, he will adapt his suggestions to suit what works best for you. It's called Spiritual Dad, but there are no age limits. We all need spiritual and emotional support. Find out more, visit jim2snakes.net or patreon.com forward slash spiritual dad. I think is a neat service. I yeah. love it, and I I think we all highly it's basically recommend. like an on call mentor. Yeah, <laughs> and we know Jim personally. He's he's, yeah, a, he's a great a person. Yeah. Yep. Wonderful would be a wonderful mentor. And does kind of have a dad vibe. He definitely, yeah, he has definitely a dad does vibe. have a dad vibe. So if that's what you're if you're needing that kind of guidance or mm-hmm. just support, definitely contact him. Yeah, sort of relative to the solitary. Um, self-initiation versus, like, formal, official, structured initiation. Mm-hmm. Dion Fortune wrote about the two ways of initiation, mm-hmm. which were the path of the mystic and the path of the occultist. So the path of the mystic, she said, was focused on, like, personal revelatory experiences. Mm-hmm. And the path of the occultist was focused on more structured learning in a group setting. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting that Dion Fortune emphasized that both of these paths were valid styles of initiation. That's right. 
and that neither one was better than the other. And I think, honestly, I think you can have a combination of the two. I think yeah. I have tended toward the mystic because I've not mm-hmm. really done the, 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 occultist. the occultist as far as a group initiation. Right. Um, but I think that a, a solitary can craft their own initiate, initiatory year and a day mm-hmm. uh, by doing their own study, creating their own way to get to that their own curriculum yeah their own curriculum to get to the point of okay i've done this path for a year and a day i'm going to initiate myself which which might be easier if you've done homeschooling before true because there's more involved i think people think of a curriculum as something that's set by an outside authority but if you've been homeschooled you were involved in setting your own curriculum Mm -hmm. like you gave us a lot of yeah, for those who don't know, I homeschooled our kids for a while. Yeah, um, I think I was homeschooled all the way through primary school. Yeah. I didn't go to a public school until middle school. And probably, it was so wonderful, was wasn't it? Probably why it was so bad to start off with. <laughs> um, I didn't know how to deal with other kids. <laughs> Which is the problem with homeschooling in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, I I would say that we did our best to get you uh, into groups. and Right, yeah, and, we, you know, you I just, were not. I just was not good with other children yes. in general. Yes. I don't think that's a homeschooling thing. I no, that, think was, that's that, a, that was very much a me thing. Uh, my brother did better yes. than I did, for sure. When we were homeschooled, you had us be very hands-on in mm-hmm. like choosing what we were going to focus on yeah. and how we were going to learn it. And like you gave us guidance, and mm-hmm. there were like outside standards we had to meet like for the state and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. But... Like, we got to very much drive our own education and decide the things that we were more interested in and wanted to focus on. And, mm-hmm. like, we wanted to spend six weeks focusing on clouds or whatever. Then we could do that mm-hmm. and find different activities related to clouds so that we could learn more about clouds, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and I, weather in general. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. You would expand it so that, so that I wouldn't focus in on cumulonimbus for six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but... I think, like, people who don't have that experience maybe have a harder time with the idea of building their own curriculum. That's possible. And I, and I think that's why, like, for the ADF, I know that they have a, a set of a direction that you can follow if you don't have a particular grove or yes. uh, that you can be a part of. You don't have a particular mentor or teacher who's guiding you. You have you uh, a list that you can follow. Right. So there's a list that you can follow, but there's also, if you want a particular, if you want a mentor mm-hmm. to get you through your dedicant path, you can ask the ADF and they will then ask somebody if they were, are willing to work with you. So they like assign you a mentor. Right. Yep. So you don't have to but, but find it's a, one yourself. Correct. Yep. That, that program's basically like a year and a day of the dedicated path mm-hmm. right. is. But you can do it completely by yourself. Like self-motivated. Exactly, yeah. And is it basically just like, so you talked about it before, and I think the impression I got that it was like a list of bullet points that you had to hit, like write an essay on X, yeah. watch three mm-hmm. videos on Z topic, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, read these books. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I think, yeah, I do agree with you that for some people it might be hard to find that path of, like, what do I read? Where do I Yeah, know, figuring I out found. what information... Because it is hard to know what information you yeah. need. There's quite a few books that will lead you through that. There's some mm-hmm. online stuff you can download that'll go through a self-initiation yeah. thing. And I think... So you it, don't have to create it yourself. There no. are at least helps. Mm-hmm. But I think if you do want to... Like, if there's not something that's perfect for you mm-hmm. out there already existing, mm-hmm. um, I think a good 
like starting point for creating your own like dedicant path, mm-hmm. right? Creating uh-huh. your own these are the things I need to know before I can consider myself initiated um, process would be get one of those like intro to whatever your tradition is books mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. has a bibliography. And then go read all the stuff in the bibliography. Yeah. Right. And Rana says, or for just, most... just buy, a, buy a Jason Mankey book because you know the bibliography is going to yeah. be right. huge. <laughs> Rana says, for most of the newbies that I have mentored, that has been the thing. They are overwhelmed by all of it. And that's true. We have run across that. Yeah. But she mostly just helps them narrow the focus to help define their own path. Right. And that's, you know, I think a, that's what we've run across with a lot of people. Yeah. They, they end up sort of like, where do I begin? They, I don't think they intend to end up in the deep end, mm-hmm. but they very much end up in the deep end, mm-hmm. and all they know how to do is doggy paddle. Yeah. And then, like, how do you even get to the edge again, much less, like, figure out where you actually want to go? Right. And I really like the suggestion of pick an intro book that has a bibliography yeah. listed. Read the intro book read first. Read the intro, and then read what's included in the bibliography. That really does help. Yeah. Because then you get the the overview, and then you get the deep dive. Yep. Rana says they're in the deep end before they even know there's a pool. Yes, a lot of times people do. And I think part of that is is people get excited, you know, because they're they're going on this new adventure, Mm -hmm. and then they they go, oh, my God, (laughs) what have I done? What have I done? And they get kind of stuck. You know, it's just you, you, like, are so, you're seeing all this information, and you just don't know where to begin. And the the biggest thing, I think, is just finding one intro to witchcraft or Wicca or whatever, whatever book, Druidry, whatever it is, and start there. Right. Um, Rad says that I've mentioned this before, but a lot of stuff is for beginners, and there's not enough intermediate level stuff. That's true. Part of a, something you'll run into is that a lot of the times you'll read that intro book, you'll mm-hmm. go to the bibliography, and the bibliography will all be advanced material yeah. Yeah. that's been synthesized down into this beginner material, yeah. right. right? And bridging that gap is going to be the hard part. That is the hard part, because that's true. There are very few intermediate books out there. Right. There's a lot of one A lot of one-on-one. And then the advanced stuff, or especially the more academic stuff, is sometimes hard to access. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's expensive. Yeah. It's behind mm-hmm. a, like, it's, Glass. like, it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's on JSTOR or whatever, and you need an academic email to right. even get access to it or whatever, you know, like, you have to go through a university press. That stuff can be harder to access. Right. That's not there are. Yeah. I mean, there are, we're starting to see a few, like, people yeah. are responding to the need for mm-hmm. more intermediate books. But they're also not as popular as beginner books. Yes. Right. And yeah. I do want to point out, like, I know of one author, Erin Murphy-Hiscock, in her, um, her, her, her newest book on Wicca. It's basically kind of like a, a Scott Cunningham book, but it's for beginner to intermediate. So it's like, I think it's a, a solitary guide to Wicca in the 21st century or something like that. Or a modern guide to Wicca by Erin Murphy-Hiscock. And, um, so she's trying, she's one of those authors that's trying to say, okay, here's a review of the basics, right. but now here's a deeper dive. I right. would be interested to know how much of the beginner stuff you have to wade through in that book to Not get to lot. the intermediate. I actually reviewed Okay, so that it really book. is just a review. It really is like just a summary of beginner's yes. content and then intermediate. It really is. Okay, good. Yeah, she, she covers basics in every chapter, but then she does a deeper dive. Right. And so it really is a valuable book if you are a Wiccan. I think even our podcast has done this. Like, we started off very basic. Yeah. And part of that was, 
Well, I was yeah. fucking brand new. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, That's true. like so I was just asking tons of questions because I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Um now almost 3 years in, you know more. I know a lot more. And, you're and asking so different kinds of questions. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so our our podcast has gone from very beginner in the mm-hmm. beginning to more intermediate now. Yeah, I think um, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think there's definitely been that. Even we even called some of our things a deeper dive, like yeah. when we went into... Uh, and we had the First Steps right, yep. series, which was specifically like, hey, here's mm-hmm. these really basic concepts. Right. Now, yep. Rana has said, I feel like once we have the foundational understanding, we can then create our own path. I've never wanted an intermediate book, and that's fair. And Some people, though, do just yeah, want something structured. They want something more right. structured. And Rad has said, also, newbies have to learn that they have to read and pick what works for them or calls to them. I think there's this unconscious expectation that there isn't any criti- critical thinking involved, but pagan reading and studying is critical thinking. Yes. And we've talked about that in the past. Yeah. You, you, it's almost, you cannot be a witch, Wiccan, pagan heathen, druid, whatever. Yeah. You cannot be any of these things unless you are willing to well, study. Well, you can. Well, you can. You can just be an uncritical one. That's true. So something that I think it's important to bear in mind, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. is that we don't really teach critical thinking. That's we true. We say that we teach critical thinking, but we don't, in practice, in most schools, at least in America, yeah. actually teach critical thinking. So the majority of people in any given group, will not really know how to engage in that. So they're going to have an uncritical engagement with the topic. That's just going to be the case Mm -hmm. in any group that you're in. So although I think critical thinking is Mm -hmm. very important for engaging in pagan traditions, especially because we come from some muddy places, we got some ancient history we don't have much details on and some more recent history that's often terrible and Mm -hmm. needs to be very closely examined. And then we have our modern history that we're writing right now and figuring out how to reconcile with those things. And all of those topics and the ways they converge requires a lot of critical thinking and analysis and processing. Mm -hmm. But not everyone is going to be able or willing to engage with the material that way. That's true. And I don't want... Although I couldn't engage with the material that way, and I obviously I think critical thinking is a valuable skill to have, Mm -hmm. I don't want to necessarily say that people who engage with this material or with this practice uncritically are not good pagans. Well, that's true. Right? Right. Right. And I and I was just not the way you would do it. Yeah. We actually teach group thinking, not critical thinking. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we teach conformity. Right. Yep. Because we're teaching capitalism. Right. And I want to say also that if someone wants to just be an aesthetic pagan or an aesthetic witch, that's very popular right now, Mm -hmm. especially in witchcraft, uh, to be, you know, it's about... The Instagram. The Instagram, the the feeling of it, the... the, That's okay. Yeah, if... If that's what they want and that serves them... If what you you get out of witchcraft is that it makes you feel good... And witchy and empowered mm-hmm. and, you know, it, like, if you find it beautiful, mm-hmm. finding That's something fine. beautiful is one of the necessary components for finding a faith, yeah, right? Right. right. And if, some of those if, people, and if that's may, all you get out of it, that's still good. It's still valid. Right, yep. It's still valid. And I think, and that is important to to note. Just because we are of more of a study critical thinking right. we're, vibe, we're more academic. We're more academic in what we do. That doesn't mean that there isn't a place Mm-mm. 
for that experience, the experiential path. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And we've strictly and experienced. We've somewhat had to become more academic even right. than we were because of the podcast. Because we were yeah. doing this podcast, yeah. Right. And I don't want to broadcast misinformation. Right, no. yeah. No. So, yeah, but but I don't want to invalidate any of those paths. I don't want to invalidate anyone who's a heathen because their family's a heathen. Right. 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 I don't want to invalidate anyone who's a witch because they like how... TikTok. Right, who, because, because they're... They like how it makes them feel, and they like the aesthetic, and they feel beautiful and powerful doing it. Right. Like, all of those are those are valid those reasons are valid. to pursue these paths. Absolutely. You don't have to be a mystic or an academic to be a pagan. And no. if you don't want to initiate yourself, or mm-hmm. self-initiate, or otherwise, then don't. You don't have yep. to, like I don't I said, think it's a requirement unless you're trying to get into exactly. a specific tradition. Like, like I said, I have, like, I never, like, officially initiated myself into heathenry. I just was like, well, I am one now. Yep. And that counts. So, it's time for Ancestor. 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 Spotlight. <laughs> We've been forgetting to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, but speaking of ancestors, I'm going to speak of one of the person who really got me started on this journey uh, back in the 90s, Shekinah or Shekina Mountain Water. I did actually meet someone at uh, Pantheacon who knew her. Okay. Um, she, yeah. So, I believe it is actually pronounced Shekina. Shekina. Yeah. Um, but she was born in 1939. She did pass away in uh, 2007 from cancer. Um, but what I really wanted to to emphasize, because I have talked about Shakina before, it was her book, Ariadne's Thread, a workbook of goddess magic, mm-hmm. that drew me onto this path, that showed me, helped me understand that there's something other than just one deity right. out there and that I could have a completely different outlook on life. And, um, and so... That's, she, she really was, her work was very important to my, to my beginning. Even though I, it was five years later when I actually got on the path and it was Scott Cunningham that I actually followed, it was Shakina who started. Sort of the first light in the darkness. That light in the darkness, exactly. But the thing about Shakina is that she, she was a bard. That's what she called herself. Oh. She was a musician, an author, a poet, a priestess of Aphrodite. Uh, and she was a key figure in the 1960s, 70s goddess movement mm-hmm. and uh, part of that second wave feminist movement. Right. Um, and so she she was very influential in her day, especially in the in the 60s and the 70s. And in fact, in the 50s and 60s, she started as a folk singer in many of the same coffee houses as Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell. Uh-huh. And so she and she, she was went a different route. <laughs> she went a different route, which was really interesting because she was actually born to atheist Marxist parents. <laughs> in 1939, her parents were Marxists, and so you know, religion is the opiate of uh-huh. the masses, and all that. And she said it really. She had no spiritual upbringing whatsoever, obviously. Um, but when she was a teenager, she started having esoteric spiritual experiences that she couldn't explain. So she started exploring that, and a big part of that exploration came through her music. Okay. And so she became interested in folk music. She kind of combined uh, folk music with African music, with Appalachian music, and it drew her ultimately to the goddess. So she had a real like melting pot style. She did have a very melting pot style. And she also, um, I guess she was part of, of something that 
was retuning the guitar. It was like a, a form of music back in the day with the folk singers would bring just simple chords, and, but creating a unique sound by using the lower strings as a bass drone while the other strings harmonized or were dissonant to what she was playing, depending on her style. They do that in metal now. It's called drop D. Yeah. Well, okay. that's... Yeah. She, the same. It's that she was one of the... premise. Yeah. So she, she pioneered that. Right. She was one of those original people who started playing that way in her folk music. Right. She also is considered one of the original artists who began pagan folk music because she started adding mystical... Anything from the the Greek deities and and New Agey stuff. New, well, they didn't have New Agey stuff really back then. Pre New Agey stuff. Yeah, pre New Agey <laughs> stuff. And mis- anything mystical or uh, folklore, anything that had right, to do the with vibe. the vibe, she would add to her music. So she was really a pioneer of blending spiritual and ritual themes into what she did. In fact, she really kind of she started creating music that was meant to draw people into a, a trance state. Mm. So a lot of her music was uh, very important, especially in the 60s and the 70s, as pagan oh. music became popular. 60s and 70s was also drug culture, so the trance yeah. stuff would have been very popular. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, she was... And the sad thing is, you know, she passed She she passed away in 2007 from uterine cancer. And sadly, by that time, she was already kind of being ostracized and forgotten it, within the pagan community. She's not even counted as one of the original pioneers of pagan music anymore. That that goes to other people. Right. Um, because she even... She was one of those people who, um, in an in interview one of her final interviews, she said she was always a radical, even in her own communities. And so she was always, always, I guess, kind of, uh, black sheep, black sheep or psychedelic sheep, uh, within her own communities. And so, uh, she never quite fit in, even though she was helping to pioneer the style of music and creating songs that were used. I think, um, now her children are trying to, reconnect people with who she who she was her music so you can find her you can find shakina mountain water and it's spelled s-h-e-k-i-n-a-h mountain water you can find her on facebook and you can find just a few videos on um youtube but no mp3s or anything I think her MP3s are available okay. through her website. So you can go to ShakinaMountainWater.com, and I think you can find her her MP3s yeah. and her her albums there because she had several several albums. But anyway, she's one of those elders, at least to me, who is incredibly important. And I would hate to see her completely forgotten. Right. But she was very important to the goddess movement, along right along with Starhawk. And all those others. I mean, she was, with, yeah, she was, she was very, uh, she was very influenced by Robert Graves. <laughs> you know, and, and as we all are. As ultimately. we all are, ultimately. And, uh, but she really helped get the goddess movement some momentum, some momentum in the 60s and the 70s. And so I just think it's important for people to, to remember her. So that's it for, uh, that segment. Yeah, we don't have an outro. <laughs> we no. don't have an outro. It's just, you know, Ancestor Spotlight. Ancestor Spotlight. But, but it is available on Amazon. 
Ariadne's Thread yes. is. Ariadne's Thread, um, a workbook of goddess magic. Eighteen ninety five in paperback or nine ninety nine in Kindle. Yeah, bad. Um, and it is a hefty book. It comes in at five hundred and thirty seven pages. Jesus yeah. Christ! You said a workbook. I thought it was like a hundred pages. <laughs> no, no, it's a comprehensive manual. That's I. I learned how to raise my first cone of power through reading that Holy that book. I mean, it's it's legit. It's so legit. let me just say, if you do have Kindle Unlimited, it's free right now. So yeah. and just be aware, it is. You know, she wrote it in. Uh, it's a product of its time. It's a product of its time. Yep. It, she, it is goddess-oriented, and it is oriented in the universal goddess. Sense. All right, so it's... Maiden Mother Crone. So it's monogender and pantheistic. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But if you know that going in. Right, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. That's our yep. jam. Yep. I still think there's a lot to glean from it. I have a copy on Kindle. I used to have a paperback copy. I right. don't have any more. But yes, because when you read this originally, Kindles didn't exist. <laughs> Kindle didn't exist. Right, yeah. But I really, I, if nothing else, just because I feel it's valuable to have these books, it is. Uh, it was a, a, an important book in the early goddess worship movement. It's a yep. historical record. Yep. Right, yep. Mm-hmm. But now it's time for... Cars, fees, table. Cars, fees, table. <laughs> All right, so... Every time you giggle. I do. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Druid Harvest Pie. Ooh. Yummy when you're making it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Wait till you hear it all I was going to say, don't forget the bog thing. (laughs) Good point. Good point. It's uh, two medium Granny Smith green apples, one cup of cranberries, a half a cup of chopped pear, two cups of sugar, one teaspoon of cinnamon, one teaspoon of nutmeg, a quarter of a teaspoon of clove, one tablespoon of your favorite whiskey, and four tablespoons of cornstarch. Like well, I said, when you're making it, this is not a bog soup. I mean, this is not a bog soup. <laughs> so first you want to do is preheat your oven to 360 degrees. Okay. Okay. Then in a saucepan over medium heat, you're going to cook your cranberries, a cup of sugar, your spices, and the pear. Okay? Okay. And you're going to cook them until the cranberries are tender. Then you're going to allow that entire mixture to fully cool. Okay. All right? Then you're going to peel and evenly slice the apples and gently fold them into the cranberry mix. Mm. You're going to add half a cup of the remaining sugar and your tablespoon of whiskey. Let me just say, tablespoon of whiskey is probably not enough. I'm seeing several people saying, yes, that a tablespoon is insufficient needs more whiskey. Right, And yes. one glass for them while they're adding. Right, exactly. The, yeah. Once you're done doing that, you're going to fold in the cornstarch. You're going to fill it in a nine-inch pie pan. Um, and create a crumb or pastry top for the pie, and then bake it for 30 minutes, is all, at 360 degrees, because you basically already cooked everything right, but the yeah, apples. Right, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to have to have this for Maven. Yeah, this sounds really good. Mm-hmm. So, Druid Harvest Pie. Make a, make a note of that. We're having that for Maven. Yeah. Well, I won't delete that one. Then. Keep that Please one. don't. Keep Dang. that. Send me the recipe. Uh, and also, Finn, you're right. Half yeah. a cup of whiskey is <laughs> basically where I was at on it, too. But <laughs> I was trying to stick to... You know, the official, said, yeah, the right. official recipe. And that, that, that recipe, um, with some modern tweaks to it, actually came out of uh, a book called To the Taste of a King that was put together by Richard II. Oh. And uh, Lori, Lauren Sass actually did the uh, translation of that book and modernized it. So there you go. Nice. nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, Black Cat 88. Pie, apparently. Huh? Said apparently the king liked that pie. Apparently the king liked that pie. 
I can see why. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Melkor says, you measure alcohol content with your heart. <laughs> Black Cat 88 said, you had me at whiskey and never enough. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Finn says, fuck measurements, just wing it. Yep. yep. <laughs> like with garlic. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, we're pretty much there on, yeah. the, on the garlic yeah. end, too. Yep. Yep. It's I, actually, like- I actually found another recipe in this book mm-hmm. that is for a garlic mash. Ooh, that does sound interesting. I'm intrigued. It's four bulbs of Good. garlic. That's what it should always be. Every time I read clove, I'm like, so five times the clove. Oh, my God. So, like, at least half a bulb minimum for your one clove, you dumb bitch. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Whoever wrote this, why? More, more garlic. So, okay. anyway, yeah, so, back to the pie. Several people are asking for the recipe in the Discord. <laughs> You're gonna have to buy the book. <laughs> yes. Yep. 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 To the so, taste of the to king. To the taste of the king. To the taste of the king. By right. Richard the Second. Edited, edited as by, translated yeah. by Lauren Sass. There you Excellent. go. Yeah, and it's not cheap. Yeah, because it's, it's out of print. It's been yeah. well, it's been out of print. She redid it in '75. Wolf. Yeah. So it's out of print. So. It's not cheap on... You see if you can find a library copy. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, All right, I think that's... Is that it on initiations? I think other that's than, anything I wanted to talk about. I think the most important thing about initiations is to, you know... Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Or it's, the rules, yeah. depending. Follow your heart, follow the rules, and, and if like you are... Like the recipe we just yeah, talked yeah. about. <laughs> and if you And remember, just like me, if you are moving toward an initiation, but it doesn't... You know, you're getting toward right. the end, but something starts to not gel, or it feels like you're not, you're just not jiving with your, you're not, you know, getting over that hump or whatever. Yeah, whatever, you know, there's just something that's not resonating with you. It is actually okay to stop the process. That's, yeah. you know, that's okay. You don't have to go through the initiation if you get to a certain point and you realize, Maybe this isn't for me after all. I need to go a different direction. That's don't, perfectly valid. Yeah, don't get trapped by the sunk cost fallacy. Exactly. And I and speaking as someone who did right for a bit, for a bit, it, it's really it really is okay to move in a different direction. And does that mean going into a different coven? Possibly. Does it mean creating my own coven? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Got options. Got options. Yep. Or just staying a solitary the way I am. Yep. You know, so just follow your heart or, Rana, your, or your tradition. Rana says, I stopped a week shy of my initiation. We had disagreements over fairies I couldn't quite ignore. There you go. All right, so that's it? Yep. I think that's it. All right, so if you want to find us, you can find us on Google. So or you just type in the number three. So lazy. And then pagans and a cat. <laughs> and a bunch of shit will come up. And we're on the first, like, two pages of results. I know, yeah. Yeah, just it's probably Googled. like five. Yeah. But, yeah. Three pagans and a cat. Yep. You'll find us on everything. On everything. Yeah. On yeah. all the things. All the things. I mean, you bitch about the fact that I don't... But it's true. Say, like, but, but, I, yeah, know. Just just Google just Google. I know. But the number the, three pagans and a cat. It just makes me laugh because he was also, you know, at the beginning... <laughs> Listen, we're three years deep into this. <laughs> oh, we're coming up on our 100th episode. Yeah. Uh, we, are. we are. And that's a reminder. Next week, yes. 100th episode. Drunk, Drunk Divination. Drunk Divination. Get your favorite beverage and, and join us. Join us. Yep. Yes. It'll all be right. fun. Goodbye. Goodbye, Finn. We love you. Goodbye. Finn's already yelled at me to press the stop button. Oh, well, don't listen to Finn. Okay. Okay, but do listen to me. (laughs) Press the stop button. Stop, stop, stop. No, he's not going to. I'm so confused now. Stop. Stop.